can repeat this Four Noble Truths, the, there is the suffering, there is the origin, cessation, and the path out of suffering. The, the formula is dukkha, is suffering. Dukkha samudhaya is the origin of suffering. Dukkha niroda, the cessation of suffering. Dukkha niroda kamini bhattipata is the eightfold path, the way out of suffering. Three aspects to each truth, twelve insights. There's three aspects to each of the Four Noble Truths makes twelve insights. This is the knowledge of an arahant, perfectly enlightened being. Now, what does an arahant know that the ordinary person doesn't know? He knows there is dukkha. Dukkha should be understood. He knows when dukkha has been fully understood. He knows there is the origin of dukkha due to grasping of desire. He knows that desire should be let go of. And he knows when desire has been let go of. He knows there is cessation of suffering. And he knows there that cessation should be fully realized, and he knows when cessation has been fully realized. He knows there is the path out of suffering, the Eightfold Path, and he knows that this path should be developed, and he knows when this path has been fully developed. That's what an Arahant knows. Another way of talking is to see things as they are. There's the yatha putang yana dasana, or the, uh, the Pali word for seeing things as they are, the insight knowledge into things as they are. Now this is uh, they, to be looking, witnessing, watching, we use such words as the silent watcher, the silent listener. That which is knowing, watching, alert, attentive, mindful, aware. The Buddha, the one who knows, the awakened one. Notice these words all point to the here and now, to this ability we all have to be to pay attention, to be alert, to reflect and observe how things actually are. Now, if we have a theory of how it should be, like if, if I said, we should all be happy, then and we can try to be happy this evening, tell jokes and dance and sing, have fun which is forbidden, of course. <laughs> we only have suffering here. Suffering is allowed. <laughs> okay. 
we can now notice the the uh, the form of should how things should be uh, and and how much you might use this on yourself or on the world around you how you should be how someone else should be how the world should be how the United States should be so this this uh, this is the the ideas from the head uh, we can all we all know how things should be and I I don't think that I'm uh, you know making a, an assumption that isn't that isn't true for everyone we we're all quite capable being fairly intelligent educated types of people to have figured out how things should be kind of very much a part of our cultural attitude, isn't it? What men should be, what women should be, mothers should be, fathers should be, presidents should be, congressmen should be, teachers should be, doctors should be, soldiers, sailors, a whole lot should be. We know how there should be. There should be's. I can tell you what you should be without even knowing you. <laughs> that doesn't take a lot of, you know, that does, that's not a reflection, that's a position. You should be kind and generous, hard-working, um, you should be mindful and wise. You should be patient. You should be forgiving. You should be courageous and brave. You should be good-natured. You shouldn't get angry. You shouldn't feel jealousy. You should have lots of joy and gladness for other people's happiness. You should feel compassion for the down-and-out, the underprivileged, the misfortunes of other other beings you should be serene so these this is the the shoulds then things as they are how is how is life as it really is we can take a position of of a negative view it's you know, it's each one to himself, survival of the fittest, law of the jungle, you know, look out for number one. I've got mine, Jack. <laughs> That's one view. The kind of survival of the fittest and law of the jungle. they all human beings, they're all corruptible, everyone has their price. If you've got enough money, you can buy anyone. Everyone's corrupted. A kind of negative, pessimistic, cynical view. Then the shoulds about, you know, you shouldn't be that way. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't sell yourself. You should be impeccable and have a great deal of integrity and and courage and so forth, but nobody is. All human beings are, all they do is think of themselves, they're greedy, 
they're easily corrupted. You might as well just blow the whole world up. Good riddance. Law of the jungle, we could say, well, you know, it is. There is a certain amount of truth to that. We don't, we have to recognize that there is a uh, survival of the fittest law in on the animal kingdom. We have to recognize it that it operates. And if you look, goes uh, deep sea diving, and you see big fish eating little fish. It's not fair, is it? Not. It shouldn't be that way. But they do, and you hear rabbits being. Uh, uh, attacked by foxes in the in the forests and sweet little rabbits and those dreadful foxes and all kinds of horrible things go on in the jungle in the woods natural kind of horrors and and uh, cruelty brutality on the human plane we can see that operating there's the human beings sometimes aren't any better than animals. They, they just uh, survival of the fittest. That's pr- pretty much what modern politics is about, isn't it? Power politics. Why do we have to have more overkill than the Soviet Union? You can only die once. <laughs> you can't die 50 times over, but it's a kind of survival, power struggling. It's a kind of uh, kind of uh, throwback to primitive uh, caveman mentality. Survival of the fittest. But saying now as, as meditators and, and uh, disciples of the Buddha, we're looking at the way things are, no longer from uh, a, a negative view or a positive view. We're not trying to say everything is wonderful, there sh- there's only love and, and God is loving and everything is wonderful and we'll be happy and life is, has a wonderful meaning to it. Just open your heart and love, love, love. Or, you know, be careful. Uh, if you don't look after number one, no one else will see that you've got what you must have, and don't worry about anyone else. Those are the extremes. Now, I'm just, I'm just reciting the extremes, say, in, in, in this reflective talk of what they, one can be caught in, in either of these positions. The extremes are always a sign of taking a position on some, some issue for or against, a positive or negative position. In uh, Dhamma practice, uh, in Zen Buddhism, they often use terms like no fixed position, a person of no fixed position. That used to be rather baffling to me, think, no fixed position. You wouldn't know what to do. What would you say? What would you think? You're just kind of being blown about by the wind. You can't have no fixed position. You've got to have some opinion, some position to take on life. 
But the, the, the realization of Dharma, the way things are, we are, we are observing the anicca, dukkha, anatta, the three characteristics of existence. These characteristics are common to all conditioned phenomena, all that exists. Now the word existence needs to be considered. This, this word actually means that which springs forth or comes forth. So when, uh, say, when a Buddhist says God doesn't exist, it doesn't mean we're saying there is no God, is it? We're just saying it's not, uh, God doesn't spring forth. <laughs> but of course, good Christians would take offense. They, say they believe there isn't any God. God doesn't exist. But what exists is what changes, isn't it? Existence is conditions. Existence is what comes into consciousness. Things that exist for us are what we're conscious of. We are things that don't exist for us, or we, we, we don't have any we don't have any knowledge or perception of them. It doesn't mean that they don't exist for others. It just means that they don't, we don't have an experience. They haven't sprung, uh, sprinted forth into our consciousness. So examining existence or looking at the way things are through these three characteristics, whether it's, it's refined or coarse, gross or subtle, whether it's the body or a mental condition, whether it's feeling or thought, good or bad, the qualities, the quantities, the speed, whether it's a macrocosm, macrocosm or a microcosm, the universal system expanding or contracting, or just the microscopic world, the bacteria, the virus, the atomic world. All things that arise cease. All things begin and end. All conditions, things, conditions, Sankaras, these are the words we use for, um, for that which exists. So all conditions are impermanent. All conditions are anicca. The body, these human bodies, they are born, they get old, they die. The feelings we have, pleasant or painful. The memories, the perceptions, the thoughts, sensory consciousness, all of that is impermanent, it's a Nietzsche. And that's everything that we can possibly conceive of or perceive, isn't it? When you, when you examine the, these five aggregates or five khandars, they're pointing to absolutely everything that we can know or understand 
perceive or conceive of, all conditioned phenomena is impermanent. All conditioned phenomena is unsatisfactory. Dukkha. Now this is a dukkha is a characteristic of all of all conditions, meaning that it has because it is impermanent and changing. There's no there's nothing in it that one can really find true security or satisfaction with because whenever what the, if we grasp it at its best it changes doesn't it like the perfect rose when it's the most beautiful form color and fragrance and then of course it changes doesn't it the perfect rose can only exist for uh, it's at its peak, it's on its cycle, so it, 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 when it's at its best, then we say, that's the perfect rose, that's what I want. But if we are betting our life on having that rose forever to make us happy, we'll only feel un- dissatisfied with it. Not only do we get bored spending the whole day with the perfect rose, <laughs> But <laughs> even though I say it is truly beautiful in its form, in its color, in its fragrance, but also even if we do manage to concentrate on it uh, and absorb into its beauty for a while, it, the rose changes and it, and it loses that beautiful form, the beautiful color, fragrance. The petals fall off, starts rotting. When when roses rot, they stink. And then, of course, it's it's uh, something that we want to throw away, get rid of it. Now that's just a a, a rose. Now apply that to everything else, whatever conditions. There's nothing that can. There's nothing in the conditioned world that can ever truly satisfy us. There's no person, there's no human being capable of truly satisfying us, fulfilling all all our needs, uh, making us happy forever. There's no uh, place that will truly, uh, completely and utterly satisfy us. There's no country no society, no anything that has the ability to really and truly make us feel truly safe and truly satisfied and content. Just with relationships, isn't it? We, we tend to make demands, the expectation, the kind of immaturity of expectation, the kind of Prince Charming Cinderella story. Meet the, the perfect one made in heaven for you. Perfect marriage. The glass slipper fits onto her delicate foot and you know that she's the one that God meant for you. That's supposed to be the, and live happily ever after. And that's a fairy tale, isn't it? 
Nobody lives happily ever after. <laughs> even if the foot fits, uh, even if the shoe fits. So when we when we make demands on each other, your duty is to make me happy forever. Then of course we have great problems, don't we? <laughs> it's impossible, even though that person might really want to do that. You know, even if that person really, truly, in a heartfelt way, wanted to make me happy forever, uh, and tried, it would not be possible. Just an impossible situation, because uh, th- those uh, to be happy forever is an impossibility. Everything changes. It's a Nietzsche. Everything is on in its very nature is cannot truly satisfy us. It's dukkha. When we do look for utopia on the on the earth, isn't it? We we're always disappointed. When I look at, at Western Europe, go to a place like Switzerland. Go to Switzerland quite often, and they're a kind of beautiful country. Uh, very high standard of living. Very beautiful quality of goods. Beautiful Bern is a very beautiful town. Um, the people are very pleasant. The um, everything, the, the government's very democratic. Good chocolate, good cheese, good food. Uh, very efficient, very clean, ordered. Um, there's nothing wrong. Nothing really wrong. The Swiss have managed in some way or other, to, to develop a utopian society. But nobody is really very happy in Switzerland. <laughs> they have so many depressing problems within themselves, not which they try to blame because they say it's too perfect, it's too this much, too that way, too, uh, too ordered, too clean, too sanitary, too efficient, too democratic, too... <laughs> so, even, the, even when we can arrange our societies with, the, with efficient economies, good political systems, and, and uh, uh, democratic social order, it's not truly satisfying in itself, is it? it can't, and that's not the end of life either. That's not the purpose. That doesn't really give much meaning to our life. So that the all this is not to be despised, not putting it down, but it is incapable of truly satisfying us. So that meeting the right person, living in the right country, with the right political system, with the right economy, the right social system, the right uh, everything, is still dukkha. The dream house, the car, the clothes, the 
profession, everything is, will, even if we get the best of the best of everything that this world can offer, it is still dukkha, it is unsatisfactory, it cannot truly satisfy us. Now why is that? Why can't we be satisfied with things? What is wrong with us? And of course the, the answer is that, that this world, this material world, this birth and this form, all this is a transition. It can never be an end in itself. We're going through some kind of transformation. It's a transition. Sometimes you see, I went to a, what, the alternative center uh, in Wales, alternative technology center. And they have, and of course this was about 10 years ago, they had all kind of uh, into windmills, water wheels, solar heating, all the kind of alternative technology systems, and then they had uh, wanting to, kind of, and of course they had utter contempt for kind of modern technology. Very high-minded, very altruistic group of people. They had a, a poster hanging on the wall, beautifully done, kind of with the Welsh mountains, and it had happy people, just like in the Soviet Union, with <laughs> water wheels and um, windmills, solar heating, uh, organic grown vegetables, the whole lot of alternative technology, new age uh, at its best. And everybody in the the kind of cartoon post, everybody looked happy. The men and women were all smiling. It was a sunny, sunny day, which is not a true uh, kind of, <laughs> not the true nature of Wales. <laughs> I said, where you know, what, this, is, this is the ideal, it's a kind of utopian idea that once we get the technology right, well, everybody will be happy. It's like the Soviet Union. Once we get the Soviet system going and tractors and, and all these happy peasants and, uh, with their tractors and <laughs> life will be absolutely wonderful, won't it? This is, this is only an ideal, an idea in the mind. I said, where is the church or the temple? They said, oh, we didn't even think of that. We just think that water wheels and windmills will make everybody happy. <laughs> Organically grown carrots. The answer to happiness, isn't it? Brown rice. Now, another 
ironic thing is that sometimes human beings are attain true happiness even in, under the most wretched and miserable conditions. And it doesn't even without water wheels, windmills, <laughs> organic carrots, even eating kind of junk foods and white bread and all that, or having nothing to eat, or or in, in countries where there's tyranny and, and cruelty. Because the, the, the human being cannot be satisfied with worldly achievements, attainment. It's only when we, when we rise up in situations, when we, when we can, say, rise up to something better, when we have to, to uh, really develop something within us, that aspiration, that, that reaching upward, that we really f- find true happiness. It's in seeing things clearly, in enlightenment, in not being deluded by the appearance, not settling for all the false images, the material world, and all that that implies. So even when the material world is at its worst, it does not stop the human being from being truly happy, truly content, and that is through the mind itself. Met people, we had a a nun at Amravati last year, died from uh, cancer, a Thai None. She was a Thai woman, and she uh, was from a Muslim family uh, in Bangkok, and she'd been living in England and had become interested in Buddhism while living in England. Of course, the worst thing a Muslim can ever do is change their religion, and especially Thai Muslims, because because they're they're a very small minority in Thailand and they feel very threatened by the vast majority of Buddhists. But this was quite a lovely person who uh, had uh, become a nun and she had had cancer before and had uh, actually had, had a remission. So then in November it, it a year ago, November, she knew that cancer was coming back. So I invited her to come and live at Amravati. And that, when she first came, she had, she hadn't, wasn't a nun, but she decided to, to uh, die as a Buddhist nun. So he gave her the eight precepts, shaved her head. And during the following month, it was about a year ago that she died, she, uh, she expressed so much joy, uh, the community, the, the nuns themselves in England were, um, she was such a pleasant, uh, inspiring person that it was absolutely no, it was a delight, privilege to take care of her. 
the monks, we used to go and sit with her every, we used to have kind of rotas where we would uh, stay with her, maybe two monks at a time, through the day, all day and all night, till she died. So she was surrounded by monks, by nuns, by her friends. And it was a liver cancer, so, but she uh, didn't take any kind of uh, drugs. And she talked about it like she was growing mushrooms inside her. You could see the actual kind of deformity growing um, in her body, and she just kind of cheerfully talked about it. And she got weaker and weaker, and, but it was such an inspiring situation that her Thai friends used to come out, and they were very upset by this, so they would say, how is Amina? They said, oh, she's fine. They said, oh, she's getting well. He said, no, she's dying. <laughs> because to them, it meant Cancer and dying were horrible. There's nothing good about it. But for us, it was a strange turn of events because what seemed to be a rather depressing, an unpleasant situation turned into to be a very joyful one. And this was quite a revelation to me because I'd never really experienced uh, someone that I knew very well dying. And so this was the actually one of the first ones. So with, with the pain the, and all the, 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 uh, that goes along with cancer in people's minds, this nun uh, actually seemed to be more and more joyful as time passed and died a very peaceful death. And the community of monks and nuns, rather than becoming depressed by it, were inspired and uplifted. So just something that, say, is not usually considered in our human value system as something that is inspiring or uplifting was actually transmuted into that very experience. It's not that we go around you know, wanting now people to come and die at Amravati to get inspired every time. But it was the, it was the, uh, say, the, the way that everyone could, she, she would share her, her deaths with other people. Uh, the whole thing was wide open. There was no, there were no secrets. There was nothing uh, that you couldn't say. You, you weren't prevented from talking about it. She was quite candid, quite willing to describe what was happening. She'd come to terms with her life. She had uh, been able to forgive uh, people who had harmed her. She had completely straightened out her whole past life in a way so that there was nothing holding her back, no bitterness, no resentment. So this was a very good example to a community of people who still have, maybe have quite a few years left to live, to really notice that, that this, this lifespan of a human being well, can, could be 
cut short at any time, couldn't it? It's all, there's no guarantee that any of us are going to live even till tomorrow. Everything is impermanent. But when we have the right understanding, seeing things clearly, even, even disease like cancer and death of a friend and all that are, are not miserable, not suffering, is it? It's only suffering when we want it to be otherwise, when we fear it, resent it. It shouldn't be like this. It's unfair. She was too young to die. She was too nice. We really wanted her to live a long life. She never hurt anyone. She was really a good person. Only bad people should die of cancer, shouldn't they? Only mean, selfish, nasty people, like Hitler or somebody like that, should die of cancer. But a, a, a really nice person like that, it's not fair. That would be suffering, wouldn't it? But the fact that it happened in the way it did, the fact that everyone was allowed to, to reflect on it, to take part, to, to share in this very human, very natural experience, changed it from a ghastly tragedy to an inspiring uh, and beautiful experience. In uh, West Sussex, in Chitters, where Venerable Nando lives, that is um, a very beautiful part of England. So, and very wealthy people live in West Sussex. So the, the kind of retired generals and brigadiers and people like this live in the around about Chitterst. People that have liked to play polo with Prince Charles and kind of prominent, elegant, aristocratic types. And yet we hear nothing but the cries and the wailings and the misery of so many of these people who have all the advantages. Thoroughbred horses, pedigreed dogs, Rolls-Royce, the whole lot. And yet, so much misery seems to abide within their minds. Why is it when they have all the privileges, all the best that, that uh, the world has to offer, and yet alcoholism is very common, suicide, uh, breakdowns, neurotic breakdowns, drug addictions, um, just horror stories, some of it. And yet they have a very nice, Britain's a very nice country to live in. It's, um, they've got the best, living in a lovely part of Britain. And yet their lives are utter hell, hell realms of fear, guilt, self-hatred, bitterness and resentment. Now this is to, to contemplate and reflect on 
is this, this life we live as a human being, what is it really for? How to live it so that, it, you know, we're we getting the priorities right and clear. The materialist view is that we should be able to have the best, the rights and privileges and, and education and opportunities and, and so forth have everything we want. But even when we do, it is unsatisfactory, it's dukkha. If we don't, it's dukkha. So dukkha is the characteristic common to, to the, the, it, it's the way of all conditioned phenomena, so that the actual death or disease of somebody is seen no longer from the viewpoint of me and mine from self, then it, the, that is no longer dukkha forth. It's just the, the way things are. It's dhamma. When things, when we allow dhamma to teach us, then we find tremendous inspiration and peace and fulfillment and joy in our lives. In whatever level or way that happens to be. So this view of self, self-view, is a uh, is a illusion that we are so attached to, so blinded by. And the third characteristic then is anatta or no self. So the three characteristics of of existence of all that exists, all conditioned phenomena, is anicca, dukkha, anatta. Anatta is very difficult, I think, for Western people to understand because we tend to look at it as a kind of doctrinal decree. There is absolutely no self at all. Buddhists believe that there is no self, there's no soul, no God, nothing. If you go to Sri Lanka, oftentimes Sri Lankan monks like to say that. We believe in that there's no soul. Not like those Christians who believe in souls and gods. And We're too intelligent for that. We're rational, realistic. We believe that there's no soul. They say the word soul in certain Buddhist circles. They look at you with, with uh, really uh, contempt. <laughs> soul. We don't believe in soul. We say God. Huh. Buddhists don't have any God. So a kind of blind attachment to Buddhism also is is dukkha. <laughs> now anatta is not a a, a belief. We don't believe in anatta or believe that there isn't any God or believe that there isn't any soul. Whether you believe there is or believe there isn't, that's not the point, is it? Believe what you like, but belief is a condition of the mind, isn't it? Our ability to believe in things is a condition that goes through the mind. One can believe in anything. You can believe there's one God, you can believe there's two gods, you can believe there's three gods, four gods, 
hundred gods, million gods, no God. You can believe God is a man, you can believe God is a woman, you can believe God is white or black, purple, if you want, purple gods. Anything is possible. Belief is a condition of the mind. Some are intelligent beliefs, maybe, or or stupid beliefs, but just pointing to the fact that belief, whether it's a, it's, it's a good belief or a bad belief, intelligent or, or stupid, is a condition of the mind. It, a belief can only be anicca, dukkha, anatta. So this, is, this isn't to say that there isn't any God, is there? Or that there's no soul, or there's no self. But it is a way of really looking at the way things are. That our ability to believe is, is a condition. It's not something to be attached to. And yet, it's through attachment to beliefs that we do the most horrendous, cruel, stupid, and horrible things to each other. If we believe that God is on our side, then we, that gives us the right to kill off everyone who God says is, isn't on our side. How many horrible things have been done in the name of, of God who favors one group over another? Remember in the, in the South, years ago, in the 50s, the, the whites used to say, God created the races separate. He doesn't want black people to go into white Christian churches. God doesn't want that, so we don't allow it. (laughs) Well, that's a belief, isn't it? We believe that God created the races separate of black people they're all right. There's nothing against them whatsoever. They're just as good as anyone else except that they should stay among themselves because that's what God wants. So God can be anything what we believe, isn't it? it can be, God can be magnanimous, all-loving, egalitarian, or God can be narrow-minded, racist, and so forth. This is, this is a matter of belief. Now, the, the, what I'm pointing to is that belief itself is anicca dukkha anatta. When we reflect on, on the, that, that attachment to any belief is going to mean that we're going to suffer from it. So we start looking at belief, not tr- saying that we don't believe or believing that we shouldn't believe, I'm not saying that you should believe that we shouldn't believe. That's another belief, isn't it? So we look at belief. The ability to believe in things, to be attached to ideas, concepts, doctrines, rational concepts, intelligent ones, or irrational ones, or stupid ones, to believe in superstitions, to believe in 
scientific materialism. Anatta then is is not a belief, but a it's a, like a tool. It's something to to take and to reflect on. What do we mean by anatta? Do we, if we're Buddhists, do we have to believe that there's no self, or is it a something to to use to examine experience with? And this is how to use anatta. In in meditation. Not going around trying to brainwash yourself, convince yourself that you don't exist. That's not it. Or that there's no self. And everything, is, you're, you're trying to, to, to convince yourself that that's, that's the way it is. It's not brainwashing or, or conditioning, but it, it's a taking this suggestion, this, this, this uh, word, no self or anatta, and contemplating what does that mean in regard to the body, in regard to the feelings we have, in regard to the um, memories, perceptions we have, in regard to thoughts and consciousness. So it's, it's a way of they contemplating, reflecting on something. Is this really mine? Is this body, this human body, is it really me? Is this all I am? Is this human body? So we ask ourselves, uh, I'm a Buddhist, so I believe the body's not mine. That's not it. That's not good enough. That's not the the point of the Buddhist teaching. It's to ask yourself, is the body really is it really mine? Is, it, is this all I am? Is this human body here? And so then you examine it. What does it do? If, if it were really mine, if it's really me in a kind of permanent way, you know, like, then, then it would be, I'd be able to have more control over it, wouldn't I? I'd say, don't get old. But it still gets old. We even, no matter how many orders I give to it, it it's still getting old. <laughs> I've said to it, don't get sick many times, but it still does. It's, uh, I don't remember asking to be born, in fact. <laughs> My mother told me I was born, and I don't remember it, actually. But my mother doesn't lie. And it seems sensible that the, probably that's what really happened. That it was, I was born. It's a, but there is now, say, this ability to, to reflect on, on the body. I can see it. I can, I can observe it. The body can't observe itself. The body can't look at itself. But there is that in all of us which can be aware and pay attention to the body, to its feelings, to pleasure and pain. We can be aware of, of heat and cold in the body. We can be aware of the ability to see 
We can reflect on our ability to see with our eyes, hear with our ears, smell with our nose, taste with our tongue, feel with our body. We can reflect on our ability to remember things, to have ideas, to have viewpoints, opinions, to have emotions. When we feel depressed, we can, we can, we can say, there is depression. Can't we? When there's anger, we, we know that there is anger. When there is greed, we know that we can observe there is greed, there is fear, there is uh, anxiety. So in this way, by, by observing that, that all these conditions arise and cease, begin and end, the body, having been born, uh, gets old and dies. We, we know that that will happen. Right now we're involved with life, aren't we? With a live body. So this is what we re-examine, the way things are now. Don't speculate about what happens to you when your body dies. Because that hasn't happened yet. People ask me, they say, do you believe in reincarnation? What happens when you die? What happens when human beings die? What do you believe? Do they get reborn as something else or reincarnated into... Can, can you be reincarnated in something lower? Like, can, if, you know, if we die, can we be reincarnated as a toad? <laughs> is it... Do you believe that? Or is reincarnation something you're always kind of going up a, a step? You know, next life, maybe I'll be something better than this one, kind of upgrade myself a bit in the next one. <laughs> or do you just get reborn in the same place or the same thing or the same family or whatever? Or is do you believe that maybe there isn't reincarnation? Or what happens anyway when people die? This is a great this is a question, isn't it? Everybody wonders about what happens when we die. Well, in reflecting right now is that we don't know because all, we're all alive, aren't we? <laughs> this is impossible for any of us to know because right now we're, the bodies are alive. When the bodies die, then we know what happens to them, what happens. So that the reflection of, of, of the Buddha is on the way things are now. We're not asked to speculate or believe. We're not asked to believe in reincarnation either. That that's something that you get reborn in, in some, into some other form in the, in, when we die. All we're doing is we're looking, examining existence as it is. So this reflection now is on the, the very existence of having a human body that is breathing at this time, that is able to think and feel and remember in the way it does now. And by reflecting on it more and more, examining, investigating, it, we begin to see that, that there's nothing in it that one can really say as a, as a permanent, immortal self or soul. That thoughts come and go according to conditions, feelings, 
All these are quite empty of a person. They're not, they're not, they're not really ours. The memories we have are not really a, a soul or a self. They're conditions. They're anicca, dukkha, anatta. Now, I'm not asking you to believe this, but just the way of reflecting on, on, the, on yourself, on your own body, your own existence. But there is still that which knows, isn't it? That which is observing, that which is able to reflect. What do you call that? Well, the Buddha never, never uh, made any doctrine about that. We don't call it the big self or the little self. or uh, uh, Oftentimes they, in Hinduism they, they like to call it the there's the true self or the big self, then the, all these little selves are the kind of egotistical attachments. Then in, like in Theravada Buddhism, they don't do that. Because the whole purpose is to not name it, but to be more and more that which is aware, alert, awake, that which is Buddha, seeing, seeing things as they are. Who is that? What is it? And Every, every name you give doesn't, isn't quite adequate, is it? You can't say it, it's what my true nature is, because suddenly that, that in itself seems a pointless thing to say. So that the, we, we give up any desire, we let go of any desire to find ourselves, to name ourselves. So we just be, be awake, be aware, be wise. Let things take their natural course. Observe the way things actually are. Investigate. Have the courage to really look closely, examine, uh, and, and really uh, Trust in, in what, you, what you realize, what the insights that you have. So Anicca, Dukkha, Nata are, are the three characteristics that are common to condition phenomena. When we say all Dhamma is not self, we say Sape sankarani cha, all conditions are impermanent. Then we say sape tamma anatta, all dhamma is not self. When we get past our attachment to sankara or conditions as self, the personality view disappears. What they call sakaya ditti. Personality view is, is seen through. This is in order to really see the path or, or stream entry, we have to, we have to really challenge this uh, and, and let go of this sakayaditi, the I am, I should, I shouldn't, I want, I like, I don't like. All the I ams. Now, one listens to that, or you can hear the, this kind of inner 
cry sometimes. We, when the first few years of my monastic life, there used to be something kind of crying inside me. I want to live. I want to be happy. <laughs> and it would sound a very uh, kind of, uh, it could be very overwhelming sometimes, or very pathetic. Uh, the, the I am, the emotional I ams. But the, there's that in us when we, when we now we're t- putting ourselves in this position of, of Bhutang Saranangachami, refuge in Buddha, in seeing and knowing clearly, we can see that the I want to live, I want my way, I, 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 is something that arises and sees. It's impermanent, isn't it? It's not there all the time. The I ams are not there all the time. They arise and they cease according to conditions. So we acknowledge that I am is a is impermanent. It is if we attach to it, we suffer from it. It's it's unsatisfying to us to to be a person, personality and egotism and all this is, is never satisfying to us. And then, of course, we realize that it's, it's not really us. It's not ours. We're not really that. We're not a, a man or a woman or a, or a memory or a feeling or anything whatsoever. These are very ephemeral, evanescent, uncertain, insecure conditions. So that leaves us just being the one who knows, isn't it? Just being awake, aware, alert. Doesn't have to have a name. We give up trying to name it. Just like, you you know, if you were obsessed with looking at your own eyes, after a while you just give up. You just look things. You, You know you have eyes because you can see things. You don't have to prove with your eye, right eye looking into the left eye, that it's there. <laughs> or the right eye trying to see itself. It's ridiculous. But we do know that what we look at isn't our eyes, isn't it? And I say, this clock isn't my eyes. Why? It's obvious, isn't it? It's not. So that we don't need to have, the eyes doesn't, the, our eyes don't need to see themselves. Just like we don't need to know our name. We don't need to have a name or, or, uh, or a doctrine about a soul or a belief in a God or anything else. These things are not necessary if we take ourselves to that very position, that very center of being, being the knowing, of seeing things as they are. Then we don't need all kinds of structures and, and uh, beliefs and ideas and theories. There is the knowing, there is seeing. Seeing clearly, perfect seeing. Now, Sakaya Ditti, 
then really ask yourself about all the I am's. I would, I, uh, one way that I, I used to do this in just to entertain myself sometimes. I found this quite interesting thing to do. I'd start listening to all the I am's of my life. I'd start listening to the I am's in the, in the things that I don't like. The painful, unpleasant I am's. The ones that you'd love to see as an atta anyway. <laughs> So that I, I listen to this I am. I am a rotten egg. Painful, yes, but it's, it's something that arises and ceases in the mind. I should be. I shouldn't be. I, I, what is that? What I think. Notice that when we, when we have strong opinions, if you want to know what I feel about it, and I believe, I have my own beliefs about that, and I know, and I, so that we, this, this I am, we examine, not just take a, a, take a belief that, it doesn't, that there's no I am, but it's to be examined, investigated. When there's no I am left, what's left? There's still knowing, isn't there? And it has no position to take. It's not taking sides with the angels or the devils or anything else. It's just clear. It's balanced. It's, it's strong. It's uh, bright. So anatta, then, is not a dismissal of, of self, but it is a thorough examination of self-thoughts, of selfish views, of, of personality. It's not a, a rejection of being a person, or dismissal of anything, or a suppression. It is to be taken as a as a skillful means for examining your life, your, what exists for you, all your s- sacred treasures, all your fears, all your secrets, the whole lot, from the, the best to the worst, to be examined and seen clearly. So not to be, not, to, not as a brainwashing technique, but as a skillful means to look into the nature of existence, the anicca dukkha nata. These are uh, when we say sapay tamma anatta. All dhamma is not self. It's that realization that there's there that that we don't need to have a self. There is dhamma. There is truth. There is awareness. There is uh, immortality. Deathlessness. 
that what is born dies, and all that is born and dies, begins and ends, is not self. All conditions are impermanent. They are born and die. All that is not self. But we're not to attach to the idea that we're, we are immortal either. We let go of the, of the view of being immortal or deathless. There is. This, this form of speech then becomes more, more appropriate. There is deathlessness. There is clarity. There is knowing. But no longer is, does it seem appropriate to say, I, it's mine, I'm deathless, I'm the knowing, I'm the Buddha. <laughs> that, doesn't, that seems ridiculous when you investigate the I am's, that way of thinking. Then the appropriate form for thought is there is. There is suffering. There is the origin of suffering. Rather than, here I am suffering. Me. What did I do to deserve this? I've always paid my taxes. I've never hurt anyone. And here I am suffering. It's unfair. So, say now, from the Buddha position, there is suffering. It's not a cry, not a complaint. It's not, it's not, there's nothing, it's a, it's a clear uh, investigation and admission of, of something that's happening, of the way it is. There is suffering. There is the origin. There is the cessation. There is the path out of suffering. There is the deathless. There is truth, there is uh, joy, compassion, there is serenity, there is true peace. But these are not, these are not personal qualities anymore, they're not, they're not anything that it belongs to me. The I am form falls away, and so that there is peacefulness, there is calm, clarity, brightness, the way it is. This is the way it is. Well, you see, even in, in the way we start thinking then, when, when there's right understanding, clear understanding of things, then we think clearly, don't we? The, the, even our ways of constructing thoughts become appropriate. And this I am stuff doesn't seem appropriate anymore. We still can conventionally use I am when it's when it's appropriate to a situation. Say, um, if they ask me uh, when I, on my, for passport, say, what are you, male or female? I, I say, well, I can't very well talk about anatta. Uh, <laughs> but there's no sense. I put the appropriate response down, not because I'm attached to being a male, not that, just one of the conventions of the society, isn't it? It's appropriate for that. You don't want to make a problem about things on that level. So there is conventional reality. We do, I do say, I, 
I am hungry or I am cold. And this, but this isn't an attachment to a self-view. It's merely a conventional form that one uses uh, for uh, communication. But in right thinking, right, in right seeing, and, and then right thought, the, the, the way we think then is, is say, in this, in, from Dhamma, from the truth seeing, in looking into the way things are, then the, these other forms are appropriate. I am the Dhamma, that makes no sense. I am a man, male, that seems appropriate for that particular uh, information wanted for the passport, that's all. What would they do? I say, I have transcended sex. <laughs> Be terribly confused. The American embassy would quite know how to handle that, I'm sure. So now I'll, I'll leave you with that, with a reflection on anatta. <laughs> and if you'll take a short break, then we can continue our sitting. <laughs>